I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the mist of tears, I hid from him. So begins Francis Thompson's 182-line poem. I've not memorized them all, only just those few. A poem that describes the life of a person who's running from God. The poem is called The Hound of Heaven, and God is seen to be the hound of heaven who relentlessly pursues this person who's running from him. And every time the hound catches up with that person, that person runs away, even to the point of picking stones up and throwing it at the hound. And eventually, they come to their senses and come to see that what they were running from was what their hearts desired, namely God himself. Let me ask you this morning, is that how you see God? Do you see God as a God who graciously and relentlessly pursues sinners? Not to condemn them, but to rescue them from their sin and to bring them to himself for the sake of their eternal joy. Is that how you see God? Or do you see God as one who is harsh and unforgiving? always out to punish people. If he catches up with you, it's only so he can get you. You see, you may have been brought up in a Christian tradition that taught rightly that we are to fear God. But maybe you've come to misunderstand what it means to fear God. And as a result, you either spend your whole life trying to please him, trying to satisfy him, trying to keep it in his good books, or you've got so worn out with doing that that you've given up altogether. Maybe there's someone listening online this morning and that's where you're at. You just think, I can't do it anymore and I've given up. You've come to this point where you just think, what's the point of bothering with this God? Every year I try to read at least one book on prayer. And uh, this year, it's been a book by Kyle Strobel. He's the son of Lee Strobel. Uh, And in the book, he shows how we can have this idea that God is so displeased with us because of our failure to obey him that we fail to pray honestly and openly about our sins. We think we've got to try and pray in a right way in order for God to hear us. And when we become like that, prayer just becomes lifeless, boring. Often we just give up. What's the point of praying if I can't be honest with this God? Is that how you see God this morning? Well, what happens if God is like the hound of heaven in Thompson's poem? What if he does pursue us relentlessly because he wants to bring us into a relationship with himself? What if he does that, not just for those who are not Christians, but also for those of us who find our hearts prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love, which is true for me, and I'm sure true for all of you. Even as a Christian pastor, I find my heart prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. 
Or maybe this morning you're sat there and you are intentionally trying to run from God. What happens if God is this hand of heaven who pursues us? Wouldn't that fill us with hope? Hope for those of us who may be running, drifting away from God, but want to find a way back. Hope for those of us who have children and loved ones who are running from God and are not yet turning back to the Lord, who are like the prodigal children, prodigal son in the far country. Wouldn't it give us hope this morning if we could see that God was this hound of heaven who pursued his people relentlessly to bring them back to himself for the sake of their joy and the glory of his name? That God won't let us go, he won't let them go. Well, that's where the book of Jonah helps us. You see, the book of Jonah does... Uh, reveal to us a God who relentlessly pursues sinners, whether that's pagan sinners, people with no knowledge of God, uh, people like the sailors, if you're familiar with the book of Jonah, or like the people of Nineveh, and even God-fearing sinners, like Jonah, who's running from God, or we who claim to be Christians, but who may be drifting from God or living far away from him. That's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see that God pursues sinners. Jonah's been commanded by God to go to Nineveh, to go and preach against them because of their sin, to tell them that judgment is coming upon them. But Jonah, instead of obeying the command of God, uh, disobeys God and runs in the opposite direction to where he's meant to be going. He boards a boat, he gets on the boat, he heads off to Spain. And in the midst of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, God throws this great storm at this boat that threatens the lives of all the people on board. And it's only when Jonah is thrown overboard by the sailors that the storm stops, resulting in the salvation of the sailors. And as far as they're concerned, they've thrown Jonah overboard and Jonah is dead. Uh, When we were coming over on the ferry uh, on Friday evening, well, just wait for, I love motorbikes by the way, but not when they're noisy and I'm trying to preach. Um, I'm not going to compete against that. Uh, We were coming over on the ferry and it was, it was actually, we got the midnight ferry which didn't leave till quarter past 12. So it was uh, probably about half past 12, quarter to one in the morning. We're in the middle of the Solent, and I went out onto the back deck, and I'm looking overboard, thinking, if you fell over there, you're dead. That's what happens. And as far as the sailors are concerned, they've thrown Jonah overboard. It's gone flat calm. Jonah is dead. But in our English translation, Jonah 1 ends like this. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. To which the skeptics say, there you go. The story of Jonah can't be real because people don't get swallowed by fish and live. A person may get swallowed by a whale, but the stomach acids will digest them and soon kill them. And these skeptics want us to believe that this 
story of Jonah is no different to Disney's Finding Nemo where Marlin and Dory hitch a lift and a whale to get them to Sydney Harbour. So is the story of Jonah like that? Is it just some fantasy story that teaches us a few moral lessons? Well, Jesus didn't think so. The God who authored the Bible and who came to live on earth in human flesh speaks about Jonah and the fish as being fact. Standing on earth, Jesus says, for just as Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is teaching us there, not just about his own resurrection, his death and resurrection, but he's teaching us that this was a real event. God really did prepare this great fish to swallow Jonah up in order to save his life. Jonah was really in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. We're dealing with real narrative here. Why should we not be surprised the God who created this universe can create a one-off fish to swallow Jonah if he so wishes? Now, you might be saying, well, okay, Tim, but does it really matter whether this is real or fiction? Yes, it does, because the character of God is at stake. If we deny this as being historically accurate, then we are saying that Jesus is at best deluded or a liar and that God is not telling us the truth. And it's the character of God that we need to see this morning and trust in if we're going to find hope, hope for those who we love, who are on the run, maybe hope for ourselves if we're trying to find a way back to God. You see, sin is essentially running from God, and Jonah is sinning big time. He's running from God, and the book of Jonah describes that running as a series of downward steps. So in chapter 1 and verse 3, we find that Jonah goes down to Joppa, and then he goes down into a ship. And then in chapter 1, verse 5, Jonah has gone down into the inner part of the ship whilst this storm is raging all around him. And then now in chapter 2 and verse 6, Jonah is down at the bottom of the seabed. Jonah is as low as he can go and still be alive. The next step down for Jonah is physical death. So here's Jonah. He's in the belly of this great fish, which in 2.2 he describes as the belly of shale. And this fish has taken him down to the sea floor, the place where the seaweed grows and the roots of the mountains are found. And he describes it in chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 like this. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's in a dark, scary place. Not just physically, but spiritually. He knows that the reason he's there at the bottom of the ocean in this fish is because of his disobedience to God. That's clear by the way he speaks about who threw him over into the sea. Chapter 1 tells us that it was the sailors who threw Jonah into the sea, overboard. 
but Jonah knows that they were just God's agents. In chapter 2, verse 3, he confesses, For you, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah knows that he's there because of his sin, and he also knows that he could die in a state of sin and running from God. That's the despairing cry of verse 4. He said, I am driven away from your sight. Doesn't get much worse for the people of God. Jonah appears to be as far away from God as it is possible to be. If God is in heaven above and Jonah is at the base of the mountains on the sea floor, then it looks like he is as far away from God as it is possible to get. Jonah got what he wanted. He wanted to run from God, and he got what he wanted. Sometimes God's chastening manifests itself, shows itself in God giving us what we desire. Be careful what we wish for. But we need to look at Jonah's situation in the light of what the Bible has to say about God. You see, centuries before, King David had written this. Where shall I go from your God's spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Yep, we know that. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall, 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 shall hold me. Jonah is in the belly of Shale, the place of the dead. And David, centuries before, had said, If I make my bed in Shale, the place of the dead, you, Lord, are there. It's here, as low as Jonah can get, at the very bottom of the sea, It's there that Jonah can still meet with the living God. And what I want us to know this morning, if you forget everything else, what I want us to know this morning, and I hope you don't forget everything that's going to come, but at least what I want us to know is that however far from God we try to run, however far we may sink in our guilt and shame and sin, we can still meet. God. He is the hound of heaven who pursues us to the very depths of our sin and despair. He's the God who meets us when we're at our worst and most desperate condition. Now, all of that raises three questions that I want to answer from Jonah chapter 2. And here's the first question What kind of God do we meet when we're in the depths of sin? What kind of God do we meet when we're in the depths of sin? Chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer to God from within the belly of the fish. If God hadn't have appointed this fish to swallow Jonah, then it's certain that he would have drowned. So Jonah's alive, but he's not out of danger. He's been swallowed by this fish. He has no idea what's going to happen next. He doesn't have verse 10. He hasn't got that yet where we read the Lord spoke to the fish 
and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. At best, as far as Jonah can see, this is probably just a temporary reprieve. He doesn't know if he's going to get digested and become fish food. He doesn't know if the fish is going to vomit him out, spit him out at the bottom of the ocean where he'll drown. He doesn't know if he'll die of starvation and dehydration there in the belly of the fish. He has no idea. Unless God acts, Jonah will still die. And so he's got no choice but to seek God from this watery grave. So we read in verse 2 that Jonah called out to the Lord out of his distress. Now, how might we imagine God would respond to this wayward servant? Remember, so far in the narrative, Jonah has disobeyed God, not just by refusing to go to Nineveh, but actually going in the opposite direction. He's shaken his fist in God's face, said, I'm not going where you want me to go. He's running as well, not just from God's commission, but he's actually running from God. And not only that, so far in this narrative, he's refused to pray to God. When the the captain of the ship tells him to pray to his God, he refuses even to pray to his God. What would be a just thing for God to do to Jonah? Surely it would be to ignore Jonah's request for help, allow him to die, and then deal with him in the final judgment. That would be a just thing for God to do. And certainly that's what Jonah would have expected. We know that by the word that Jonah uses for the place of the dead. He uses the word shale. It was the place where the wicked go when they die while they wait for the final judgment. As far as Jonah is concerned, verse 4, he's driven away from God. But notice that God doesn't treat Jonah as Jonah deserves to be treated. As Jonah prays to God, he finds a God who hears him. He prays in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of shale I cried, And you, Lord, heard my voice. You see the same in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah meets God in the depths of his sin, and he discovers God to be a God of grace who hears his prayer and, as we shall see, saves him. And that's the message that's written through the Bible. From the very first time humanity sinned against God, we discover God to be gracious. Adam rebelled against God. He sinned against the command of God. And as he stood before God, God said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. That's the grace of God. Instead of the curse falling upon Adam, it fell upon the ground. And in that moment, God was showing that one of Adam's own race, someone from Adam's own line, would come and suffer the curse in the place of God's people. He would crush the head of Satan and at the same time be wounded. And of course, we know that to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, 
God revealed himself to a man called Moses. Uh, Moses had been leading the children of Israel, and Israel had rebelled against God. They built a, an, a golden calf, and they'd worshipped it, and they said, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. What an affront against God. And Moses pleads with God for the people, for him to have mercy upon them. And then he goes up to a mountain and he asks God to show himself to him. And God shows himself to him in this way. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, Adam, Moses, Jonah, all came into the depths of sin. And as they stand before God with all of their guilt and shame, what they meet is a God of amazing grace. And that's still the same today. When the hound of heaven catches us, we stand before him in our sin, dressed in all dirty, filthy rags, and we've got all of that guilt and shame upon us. And as we cry out to him for mercy, we meet a God of grace. Now, all of that leads to the second question, and it's this. Why do we need to meet God as a God of grace? Well, we could answer that simply by saying it's because all of us are sinners, and so we all stand in need of God's grace. But I want to drill down a bit more deeply into that statement, because I want to show you that what God does is he deals with our hearts. Jonah knew that God was gracious, He knew the story of Adam. He knew the story of Moses. He'd read those narratives that spoke about God's grace. He knew the songs that Israel sang about the grace of God. He knew all of that. And we know that he knew that because he tells us in chapter 4 in verse 2, he says to God, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. It's nearly the same as the song of Moses and, and Psalm 103. But it seems as if Jonah only had an intellectual knowledge of God's grace. He knew what the Bible said, but he'd never fully experienced that grace himself. What Jonah needed was for what he knew in his head to become a heart reality. God had to expose the sin that was in Jonah's heart and bring him into the very depths of sin and bring him to the very point of death in order to show Jonah not just that he was a God of grace, but how much Jonah also needed God's grace. You see, in his pride, Jonah believed that the Ninevites were sinners, but he never saw himself as a sinner in need of God's grace. And until he did, he couldn't be used by God to share the message of grace. For many of us who have been brought up in Christian homes or who have been Christians for a long time, we can suffer from that same kind of spiritual pride. We can sit in church like this this morning, not be doing all the very wicked things that people are doing outside and think to ourselves, well, we're doing okay. We're we're pretty good, really. God deals with that kind of pride because that's what it is. He brings us low. He brings us to the very depths of sin. 
And maybe he does that by putting us in situations that expose the sin that's in our hearts. Maybe he does it by shattering all of our earthly expectations and ambitions, bringing to nothing all of our efforts. I have a friend, he was in ministry, and throughout his ministry, he was acting immorally, a whole series of women, and it all came to light And he said he never realized just what a desperate sinner he was until it all came to light. God does that sometimes. And he does it to bring us to the depths. And it's in the depths that we cry out to God. And what we discover is not just intellectually that God is a grace, but we discover it in our hearts. Now, how would we know if we've come to that place? Let me tell you how you can know that you've come to that place where not just with your head, but with your heart, you know God to be a God of grace. It's this. You will be more and more aware of your sin before God, but at the same time, more and more aware of the grace of God to you. That's when we begin to really experience the grace of God. We wake up every morning, we feel the depth of our sin, and we cry out to God, and we discover his grace. That's the experience of God's grace. What we know with our heads becomes a heart reality. So what kind of God do we meet in the depths of sin, a God of grace? Why do we need to meet this God of grace? Because we need to not just know about grace, but to experience grace. Thirdly, how are we to respond to this God of grace? Simple answer in every sermon is often read your Bible more, pray more. I'm going to go with the second one of those. We need to pray. That's what Jonah does. He takes what he knows about God and he prays it back to God and he asks God to act in line with his character. You see, what Jonah's prayer is here is all about honest prayer. Pray to the God who knows us to the depths of our being. And I want to just step through this prayer very quickly and see this honesty at work. Jonah is honest about his sin. That's seen in verse 3. He says, For you, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows passed over me. Notice Jonah doesn't lie in the belly of the fish and say, Lord, you know I've been a good person. You know, I've, I've, I've prophesied well when I was in Israel. Okay, I had a little bit of a hiccup and didn't want to go to the Ninevites, but that's because I don't like them. And I knew that you would be gracious to them because you are a God of grace. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say to God, Lord, it just wasn't fair what those sailors did to me. Do you, do you, do you know, they threw me overboard. When I said to them, chuck me overboard and the seas will go quiet, I didn't expect them to really do it. He doesn't plead his innocence. He doesn't plead anything about fairness. He acknowledges what God has done and that God is just to do what he has done. God is just to throw Jonah overboard. God is just to have Jonah swallowed by this fish. God is just 
to take Jonah's life if he so wishes. Jonah begins, you see, with confession. And that's where we all need to begin. Being honest with God about our sin. (laughs) Do you you know, sometimes we come to God, don't we, in prayer? And and we want to just lay out all the good things that we've done. Let me tell you, if that's where we are, we've we've not experienced the grace of God in our hearts. (laughs) Do we honestly think that we could say, Lord... You know, I've, I've read my Bible today, and I've been really encouraged by what I've read, and hide the aspects of sin in our lives from God. Do we really think we can do that? This God who knows us intimately to the very depths of our being, he knows more about the sin in our hearts than we do. And I think a wandering mind is a gift from God. A wandering mind in prayer is a gift from God. When we are before God and things start to come into our minds, it may just be the Spirit of God who's lifting those things up to us so that we can confess them to God. He's the one who searches the deepest recesses of our hearts. He doesn't want us to hide our sin. He wants us to confess it. Be honest about sin with God. Jonah is honest about his need also. Verses 5 and 6 show us how desperate Jonah's condition is. He's, he's in over his head. His current situation is an eternal prison from which there's no way of escape. You know, he might have been able to get out of going to Nineveh by paying for a ticket to go to Spain, by his way out of God's command but he can't buy himself out of this situation. Unless God saves him, he's dead. He's dead physically, he's dead spiritually. And if we're ever going to take hold of God's grace, we need to admit our helplessness. That's true physically and socially. God may just have brought you this morning to the end of yourself and the end of your resources because he wants you to feel just how helpless you are. You can't make that wayward child walk in the way you want them to. You just can't do it. You can't fix your own marriage because you have no control over your spouse. You can't change the situation at work that you find yourselves in. You can't change the people around you. You need God to act. And that's especially true spiritually. You and I cannot change our hearts. We cannot put ourselves right with God. And unless we realize that, we will never cry out to God from the depths of our sin and shame and experience the grace of God. So this morning, if you're struggling... And be honest with God about your needs. Say to him, Lord, you've brought me to the end of myself. Do Do you know what that's like? Some of you are nodding. Some of you have been on the Christian pathway a long time who are not self reliant. You know what that's like to come to the end of yourself. You've got nowhere else, no resources left. And all you can do is, God, be merciful. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lastly, Jonah is honest about the cost of grace. 
When Jonah looks at his circumstances with his natural senses, he's in despair. But when he looks at his circumstances through the eyes of faith, he's filled with hope. That's seen in verse 4. Verse 4 says this, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. That's Jonah looking at this situation with his natural senses, looking around the belly of the fish. I'm driven away from your sight. There's no hope. But then... He goes on, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That's faith beginning to rise in his heart. He's still in the belly of the fish, but he's confident that he will again look at the temple. Now, why was that significant? Well, it was because the temple is the place where he would meet God through sacrifice. You see, Jonah knows that if God is going to forgive him and spare his life, then another death needs to take place. Jonah has broken God's law and the penalty is death. If Jonah is going to be released from the prison of death, then another has to die in his place. Now what Jonah couldn't have fully known, and which we do, is that God would send his own son to die in Jonah's place. The hound of heaven would not just pursue Jonah but would himself take the punishment for Jonah's sin, and not just Jonah's sin, but for our sin. That's the cost of grace. God offers grace freely, but that grace comes at great cost to himself. It comes at the cost of him offering himself up to death on a cross in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, I want you to know that God is chasing you. And you say, how do you know that? Because you're listening to this sermon. If God wasn't chasing you this morning, you wouldn't be listening to this sermon. You'd be down on the beach sunning yourself. It may well be that if this is still on YouTube in five, ten years' time, someone's listening to this, know that God is chasing you because you're listening to this sermon. And maybe you're listening to this sermon because God has brought a storm into your life that's brought you to the very depths and the end of yourself. And the reason he's done it is because he's making you aware of your sinfulness and your need of him and his grace that is available to you. And what he wants is for you to be honest with him, honest about your sin, honest about your need, and honest about the cost, and plead with him to have mercy upon your soul. In fact, if you're listening to this now and you're not not yet saved, then I would plead with you to consider Jesus Christ and to cry out for mercy, because mercy is available. There is grace to cover every sin. You do not need to continue in your waywardness, running from God. He may have caught up with you. You may feel uncomfortable. Good. That uncomfortableness is him revealing to you the depths of your sin. Cry out to him for mercy and discover his grace. And if you're a believer in Christ and you're currently on the run or even 
drifting from God and you look over this last week and you think to yourself, do you know what? I don't think I've grown nearer to the Lord in this last week. I just feel I've grown further away and I grieve that in my own heart. Then know that he won't leave you in that place. He shed his precious blood for you. (laughs) We're going to sing of that in a moment. He's not going to leave you in that place if you're a believer in Christ. Yes, he will expose your sin. Yes, he will make you feel uncomfortable, bring you to the depths. But it's in the depths that you will meet this God of grace, who at great cost to himself put you right with himself. And what Jonah says, what Jonah shows us, is that we need to be honest with him in prayer. Honest about our sin, honest about our need, honest about the cost of grace. Do you know there's an old chorus... Um, some of you will know it and I want to close with this this is where we find hope I used to sing it in Sunday school there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin there's a door that is open it's open now and you may go in at Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, covenant love, faithful love for your people. God who has purchased us at the cost of your own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to pray this morning that we might rest in the knowledge of all of that. And if we've drifted and we're grieved, that we might even now confess that to you. That if we've not ever come before you, that you would grant us the gift of faith and repentance to lay hold of Christ, that you would cause us to be born again by your Spirit. Lord, I want to pray for those who are deliberately running from you, that you would continue to pursue them. Lord, we pray for those who we love, who are still running from you. Lord, overtake them with your grace and your mercy and your love, we pray. Lord, we ask that you would not leave us in that condition of sin and guilt and shame, that you would have mercy upon us. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.